in 21, it was easy to get money. And a lot of ideas got funded, even if they were maybe not the best ideas, right? So now there's a little bit more of a filter, I would say. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Sophie, a very well welcome back to the Swisspreneur Show. You're sort of one of my favorite resident guests. It's so, so great to have you back here. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. For those of the listeners who don't know you yet, you are the co-founder managing partner at Dart Labs, an accelerator investing in Swiss early stage startups and helping them scale in the US. That's also, I think, where you're calling from right now, right? You're in the San Francisco area. Yeah, I'm actually at my home here in Oakland, just across the bridge of San Francisco. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's morning, eight o'clock, the sun is shining. It's still, we still have kind of a late summer here which is really nice perfect it's the same in switzerland at the moment and if you look back a bit dart labs is turning six this year so you know you're sort of growing up maturing and i just want to know what's your favorite dart memory so far from these first six years and hopefully many more to come um well i think that there was quite a quite a few steps right um i think the moment Ariana and this, I decided to really make this full time. Uh, so the first couple of years we were still, I was employed at Swissnext, which is the innovation outpost of Switzerland. And she was at the Swisscom Innovation Outpost. Uh, and so we did this as a project, right? Or uh, organized some funding, incubated some, some startups, but it was kind of a project for us on the side of our full-time job. And then after two years, we are like, Okay, I think started talking to a few investors. They were like, "Yeah, yeah, we we would be interested in in putting some money behind this." And uh, yeah, and then was the decision to okay, we're going to make this now full time, and this is our passion, and we're entrepreneurs ourselves in a way because we started with very little, right, with this light tech and some ideas, and uh, um, and then yeah, since 2020, we're actively investing, and now I think highlight for me is always when we do an event and investors and our founders come together. And then you're realizing, oh, wow, there's like so many people that were actually in the network that were able to support that, uh, you know, are on their journey and were part of it. So that's that always feels very, I don't know, satisfying to see like, oh, like there's so much uh, talent behind what we're building. And it's not just, you know, a theory. <laughs> Absolutely. You see the effect of your decisions and investments to a certain degree, right? Yeah, and hopefully also the impact that we have on their journey that's beyond just, you know, the financial investment that like we're really active in helping them find customers, additional investors, starting their business here in the U.S. So that's actually the most satisfying. Like, oh, this introduction became an investor, became a board member, became a hire, right? And it's almost harder than uh, investing money. <laughs> Absolutely. And now, of course, you know, you're just getting started. So what are you most looking forward to in Dart's future? I look forward to, that's that's maybe not very visionary right now. 
but I look forward to where we are at the place where we really have enough resources to really do what we want to do, right? In terms of how we can support the founders, in terms of the team that we can grow, in terms of the impact we can have. I mean, there's, we have so many ideas what we would like to do, but currently there's just not enough time and resources and budget, honestly. And so, yeah, growing to the next level uh, with this fund will, will, will get us closer to that. Yes. Um, Fantastic. And, you know, we're recording this in, in 2023 and we all know it's a challenging year for startups and for especially startups who are currently looking for funds, looking for investors. So what does the fundraising landscape currently look like for Swiss startups? How do you see it? And it's not specifically for Swiss startups. It's it's global. Um, hard, hard. It's, uh, I, I would call it an uphill battle. <laughs> you know, it's not something that you cannot, it's not achievable, but it's harder, much harder than it was. There is less capital available. There is less bold investors. Everybody is a little bit more cautious. Um, and honestly, like we see this, the reality is we see that ourselves, right? Um, we have uh, our own portfolio that is now doing bridge rounds because not quite ready for the next full round. So we're actually looking after them and like reinvesting in, in some of the companies and so do other funds and so do other private investors. So the first priority is like making sure that your teams are, are, are good, right? Are okay. Um, and then I think it's also the entire chain, right? It's not just uh, for the startups, it's harder to get to money. It's also for investors and funds like ourselves who are raising, right? The LPs are more cautious. So it's, it's the entire chain that it's just slowed down. Um, but we're in a very long-term game here, right? Like a fund, a fund duration is at least 10 years. The journey of most founders is about 10 years. Uh, so this is just a short period in this, you know, in the journey of a startup. And if you are smart as an investor, actually, that's now is the time to invest because we get a lot of um, people coming to us now. Yeah, we're doing a bridge round, same valuation as last. And, you know, actually now is, is a good time. And on the other hand, I think also the people who are who keep going now are also the ones like building the most resilience that gets you ready for all the rest that comes. So uh, I don't know. It's If you have capital now, uh, my suggestion would be to, to invest it, right? Yeah. I love that. Because if, if you look back, right, if, if you look at the history of startups, many of the biggest, the mega successes, many of them were actually born in crisis. So this could be one of these moments where you then look back 10, 15 years later down the road and say, oh, yeah, back then it was a crisis, but the ones who did invest are now actually able to reap the benefits. I hope at least that this will happen. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's, it's this both explanations, right? Valuations have come down, so it makes sense for investments. And the other one is it's the most resilient that that are going to make it out the best ones, right? So uh, in 21, it was easy to get money. And a lot of ideas got funded, even if they were maybe not the best ideas. I fully right? share this uh, worldview. And I, I hope that we will be proven right. Let's see, 10, 15 years. We'll do another podcast on that in a few years. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, ten years back. Let's see. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> the thing to find out, I'll despite the performance. <laughs> so, if you look at last year in in 2022, fintech attracted the most investment in Switzerland, closely followed by clean tech. How do you think that this year in in 2023 will play out? Is clean tech coming for fintech's crown, or will IT be back on the throne? I mean, I. I... Definitely bet on 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 climate tech. Uh, not only because we're we are investing in that sector, and I'm very passionate also about you know the, the additional impact of just the financial returns. But I think really globally, what you see, what's happening, uh, it looks very promising. Like first, you have a lot more investments in the space, public and private. Uh, governments are really, really, really doubling down now. And we see the effect of it. So you have a lot of renewable technologies that are now maturing and actually have a clear path for to financial success. I, I was just reading this week and I wasn't even aware myself that now wind and solar will overtake the production of coal in 25, 26 here in the US because it's cheaper. And I think now we're talking about real business opportunity. It's not just we need to invest in climate because we need to save the planet. Of course, that's the most important. But now, actually, it starts making financial sense. So um, that is definitely a reason. And the other, I mean, just from our very personal fundraising journey, uh, we have quite a few investors now coming to us like, hey, our kids are requesting that we're doing but do start investing in climate or that we are investing our money into impact. And there's definitely also a, a shift towards a more conscious investing, more purpose-driven investing. We, we want to do something that has a larger impact. Um, on of course, that's part of your job yeah, description, so right? I, yeah, I'm, I'm very optimistic, obviously. No, so yeah. And then, and then the other thing is also a lot of the companies are now maturing, right? So these rounds are like you've, in Switzerland, very famous example is Climeworks, right? Uh, we have now actual climate tech unicorns, which we didn't have a few years ago. So the whole sector is also maturing. Um, so this is, yeah, it's a lot of positive signals, I would say. I like what you said before, you know, that the, the price, it starts to make financially sense because, you know, clean energy is becoming cheaper than fossil burning uh, energy, for example. And I, I think that's a very important catalyst that was not there before to really, you know, put the whole sector on another level. However, what I also see is that many people, the second point you mentioned, many people talk about it's so important to invest in clean tech. And many of them, you know, they mention that they talk about it. But how many of them do actually put the money where their mouth is? I think I think it's happening. I think it's happening. Um, there's a lot more impact funds. There's a lot more climate tech funds. I, I was just just there was a big climate tech week here in San Francisco. There was one in New York. This the scene is really buzzing, uh, and also generalist funds start to have like a climate part of of, of their portfolio. So I, I, I do see a lot of good signals. The numbers are showing too. There is, it's record years in climate investing each year now. So hopefully uh, 23 will also be that. And then I think also what happened this year environmentally. I, I don't know. I think most of us, most of us have experienced climate change now personally, which is new. 
um, like before, like, I don't know, for the last 10, 10, 20 years, we knew in theory that this is happening. But now I think a lot of people are actually feeling it. They were on a vacation. It was too hot. There were fires, floods, right? So I think seeing that this is like an urgent, big problem as well as an opportunity, I think is is now felt rather than just rational. And I think in the end, uh, people also make emotional investment decisions. I think we always underestimate that, how much actually emotions play a role when somebody decides uh, where to put their money. Yeah. yeah, fully agree. You mentioned the the record year in terms of investments. Switzerland had the same last year, right? It was an all-time record so far. Uh, I think the the funds invested in startups increased by 29% in 2022 alone. How do you see this year playing out? Um, I feel all the negative downturn from the economy, et cetera, it's just sort of a bit delayed until it reaches the startup land. So do you think that we'll have another record year in Switzerland for 2023 as well? Or do you think that the total investments is the first indicator show uh, for this half year that we saw this some data coming in? it will go lower than last year eventually. So what I can say about my personal network and what I'm seeing is rounds are happening, but they're smaller. Yeah, so there's a lot more, oh, we're doing a bridge round or we're doing a smaller round before that next bigger round. Oh, or we're splitting up an A round into two trenches or three trenches. And I think that will probably show in the total numbers. I, it's my estimation. Um, not so much in uh, how many rounds are happening. Uh, and then I think also later stage is a bit more affected than the space we are in, the very early stage one, uh, pre-seed, seed, series A. So yeah, let, let's let's see. Um, but uh, on the other hand, I see we see a lot more funds in Switzerland that are raising now and that have been raised. So it's definitely at the same time a more maturing uh venture scene in Switzerland, there's still a lot of room to grow, right? If you compare it with, you know, what I see here in the US or not even Silicon Valley, right? Uh, but but it's, it's, it's nice to see that um, there's more and more funds popping up, smaller, medium sized, also a couple larger funds. So I think it's also promising on, 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 on that side. By having similar rounds in terms of the amount of rounds, but smaller amounts per round on average, do you think that Swiss companies, Swiss startups have to go also more abroad to get finance and to find investors? Um, honestly, I always recommend to go abroad, <laughs> even, in the, even in the good times. Um, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh, really important, I think, that you think about the, I call this diversity on your cap table, meaning uh, what do these people bring in terms of network, in terms of expertise, but also in terms of pocket size. Can they do follow-on investments? Uh, can they make the introductions to your Series B investor and so forth, right? And uh, I have watched a few Swiss startups struggling with that scale-up and that growth if there were only Swiss investors on the cap table. So yes, highly recommend to, uh, and, and Europe has a growing uh, VC scene, right? Or 
then straight to the US. I mean, we are uh, working mostly with startups that have that goal to not just enter the US market, but also raise money here. Yeah. yeah. And that makes a ton of sense. I'm, I'm glad that you brought it up because I feel it's something that we don't often talk about. You should also diversify on your investor front, not only have different investors, but also from different geographies, because Imagine Europe in a meltdown, but the United States are doing very well economically. It will be easier for you to get more money there than if you already have some investors on board, right? So it's also from a strategic perspective, very valuable for your company to have a ge geographically diversified investor base. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way the way an investor thinks about diversifying their portfolio, a founder should think about that too, right? Um, and what do each what does each VC or each angel or investor bring to the table? Uh, and see, do I have all the skills? Do I have all the networks? Do I have the capital also for the next phase already in my current cap table, right? Or at least part of it? Yeah, yeah. You see, that's the cool part about doing a session with you. I always learn something new. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> I do from you too. So same. <laughs> cool. There's a big topic that I also want to learn more about because usually, you know, we talk about investors, but from the investor perspective of how they actually invest in a startup, what they look for, et cetera. Today with you, I want to talk about a different topic that I'm very eager to learn more about. And that's the topic of you as a fund raising yourself money from investors. So please walk me through that process. How, how does that work? <laughs> well, I'm still learning myself. Huh? Uh, so, <laughs> but it's actually um, not as different than it is for, for, for a startup founder, right? Um, so in our case, we started small as an investor club. We raised about 5 million uh, that way. And these were private investors, people that absolutely believed in us, that might have known us already before. So comparable to like an angel round almost, right? People who uh, know quite a bit about startups, maybe they have founded their own company, they're very passionate about tech and people and very purpose-driven. And then there is this next level, there's more family offices, um, who, who might uh, have a more of a long-term kind of how to grow their capitals over generations type of strategy. Um, and of some, of some of them we have now and we start talking to. And then the next layer is more institutional investors. Uh, you know, this could be uh, funds of funds. This could be uh, um, even corporate funds, eventually banks or bigger wealth management companies, all of that. And um not so much pension funds, unfortunately, in Switzerland or endowment funds like you have in the U.S. Uh, I think when you compare Switzerland and the U.S., I think in terms of LP, so investors in a fund are called LPs, limited partners. I think the majority in Switzerland is still private LPs, where it's three quarters of institutional LPs in the U.S. That's why there is way more capital available here also. Um, yeah, and then it's, you know, it's maybe in, in one way it's harder than it is for a startup. There's not like 
I can just Google like uh, all VCs in Switzerland or something. LPs you can't Google, right? So um, you have to go through your network. There is some dedicated events you can participate, introductions that are made usually from you, either your investors you already have or from other friendly venture funds you're working with. So it's a lot. It's also a lot of network. Um, and it takes currently... As as uh, things are a little down, it's it's also here. It's an uphill battle. Uh, we're spending a lot of time with LP conversations, and you get a lot of yes, but later. And so it's like okay, so yeah, we'll talk again in three months, and we'll talk again in six months. Yeah. Do you have to imagine this is a you know quite a, a sales process as well as we know it from the startup side where you say hey I have like a long list and then I do like an initial outreach I do some qualification then maybe a pitch and then we come to the negotiation phase and we close them more or less is that how the process looks like exactly the same there is a funnel there is first conversation like yeah I mean it's 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 very similar and. Uh, between you and me, I guess, I, I guess it's not between you and me, but, uh, do it, going through that process, I, I definitely, we definitely develop more empathy for our founders going through that same process. So it makes me want to make their fundraising process even more efficient, right? Because there is really no reason to, you know, let somebody in the dark about, are you interested or not? Or yeah, exactly. So in that sense, um, I, I, yeah, I have, I have high respect of, of, of fund managers who raise their own funds. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely also a skill you need to develop. <laughs> definitely. And how much money are you looking for in total for the fund that you're about to raise? Yeah. So this is now officially fund one after the investor club. So we're still called a, an emerging fund and we're raising 20 million. So it's not like a huge amount. So for a lot of LPs we're talking to, it's actually too small for certain. It's, yeah. So it's, it, it's also, you need to find the ones that are, are the right match. But for us, I think it's a, it's a great first step in, into the fund world because, uh, you know, it will give us enough capital to invest for three to four years. We do very early investments, pre-seed seed. We can, with this fund, now do follow-ons until Series A, which wasn't really possible before. So the main reason why actually Ariana and I are super motivated to raise this fund is also to, to be able to now follow on with the investments in the portfolio we already have with the ones we are most excited about and that are doing well. So, um, yeah. And then after that, after that, I hope a uh, 200 million evergreen fund. Perfect. That's going to be covered in the, I'm not going to say the next episode because I hope you'll be back here before that, but you know, in one of the future episodes, let's put All it right. that way. All right, let's do it. How do you come up with the 20 million? You know, did you say, Hey, this is the ticket size that we want to do. And that's how many investments we want to do in terms of the risk and the return profile. How did you arrive at 20 million as the, the right size for your fund? Yeah, um, that's a really good question because that, that, that was quite a, a discussion, right? So you have, on one hand, you make a model about your portfolio construction, you call that. Like, okay, how, how what is your, your ticket size, investors call that? Like, how much you're going to invest at an average, in what stage? how many companies you want uh, to diversify enough. So we would, for example, now have 
30 investments with these 20 million, but um, I think 44 investments in total. So there is half of them would just be follow-ons. So the idea that, but it's about half of the capital. So you reserve quite a bit of money for follow-ons because for follow-ons, you need to invest a little bit more than in the first rounds, right? Because the valuation increased. So yes, it's a lot of... Uh, a lot of um, kind of planning and thinking also how many investments can we comfortably do uh, in a year, right? And we we have a special case because we run also an accelerator, which is this active, you know, support in the US. So we can't do this for 100 companies, right? Uh, we don't have the Y Combinator type model where we do like a class or something like that. We, we individually like support each founder. So, you know, weekly calls, weekly outreach, like I spend sometimes half a day or a day for a startup in our portfolio. And so we can do maximum six a year of new ones that were active, yeah. And then of course, the, all the follow-ons will keep growing, right? So, and they all, they all have asked that they all want something. And so, uh, yeah, if you want to do your job right, I don't think you should have a gigantic portfolio, uh, but you still need to have enough so you diversify, right? Um, so, yeah, yeah. Th that's a delicate balance, right? And then also the other question is how much do you think you can raise, right? Uh, so yes, we did, uh, we have a good, you know, traction on the first investor club. We had one exit. We have some interesting portfolio companies that was barely 5 million. So the next step, 20 million is already 4X, right? So yeah, you you can't just go out and say, oh, now we're raising a billion dollar fund, right? People want to see like, you know, what your track record is, what you've done so far. So yeah. And can you also talk a bit more about your investment strategy? You have a very clear focus on what you invest in, but what's the strategy behind it? Mm -hmm. So we're investing in health and climate, uh, early stage Swiss and European founders who want to enter the US market. Um, so that's in a nutshell. Um, why we're doing this? So there's just several reasons. Uh, first of all, and we touched a bit on that um, it's for a lot of companies, it's easier to scale here in the US. Switzerland is, uh, is a great place to start, right? We have some of the best universities. We have so much talent. There's also quite a few, a few like support vehicles early on, but to really scale a company, you have to go outside. Um, the US market is a 300 million, 330 million, I think now market. And it's one single market. It's not like Europe where you have different countries. So that makes sense. And then I think, you know, we talked about venture money that's available and also the mindset that most people have here is very entrepreneurial, you know, like to take risks, trying new things. So it's a bit, uh, let's do it culture a little bit more than, than, than it is back in Europe and especially in Switzerland, uh, I would say. Um, and then in terms of why climate and health, um, I think these are two sectors that are extremely interesting and now really, really evolving. We talked uh, about the climate part already. And on the health side, um, just looking at what AI is going to enable in healthcare in terms of diagnostics, in terms of sensing new data, like we're already all started wearing, you know, some sort of health tracker, right? <laughs> oh, you have the aura? Nice. Yeah, exactly. 
So this convergence of like consumer tech, health tech, med tech is really, really interesting. It's opening all these new possibilities of personalization, prediction, continuous monitoring, really better understand you and your health uh, early on, which um, helps for, you know, early diagnosis, early treatment, remote monitor. Yeah, it just opens so many new opportunities um, and, a, and a massive market. Um, so yeah, and 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 we like working with founders who work on these really big challenges. So we have a company in the portfolio, you know, that works on Alzheimer treatments. We have somebody who does a small sensor continuously uh, tracking hormones. So these are topics that you know, in a way, they are some some investors would call them blue ocean opportunities, right? It's like there is not really competition yet because we don't have anything in that area. So. It's also really cool to invest in these kind of bold, deep tech ideas that, uh, yeah, are some, somewhat uh, scientific breakthrough just uh, to get it where they are and then seeing like, oh, okay, can we really scale this now globally uh, out of this lab? Yeah. And I imagine after your potential investors, they get the, the strategy and they, okay, that makes sense. They also want to learn more about the potential return, right? So what's the return profile or the performance that you aim to deliver? Because that's a very, very important part, if not one of the key parts of any fund being raised. I mean, so there's the classical VC benchmark that's like you multiply by 3x. That's that's when you are a decent, good fund. Uh, if you're above that, you're outstanding. If you're below that, uh, you're not as, uh, you know, not as great. So what we do now in our deck, for example, we, we show these three scenarios, right? There is a scenario which is kind of a medium scenario. There's a fast scenario, successful, and there is a slow scenario. And you model in like, okay, how many percentages of the portfolio companies are going to be doing super well and, and, you know, some, some will be written off. That's clear, right? So I think our model is about over 50% of companies are being written off. So that's actually conservative, but that's probably reality. Um, but then you only need somewhere between one or 2% of your portfolio is doing really well and doesn't even need to be on a unicorn level. It could be half a unicorn uh, and that will return your entire fund. And so, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, it's a few winners that will make the difference uh, of a fund performance. And yeah, uh, like the, the pitch, the pitch is then really to your LPs that you're going to be the ones uh, finding these outstanding companies and also being able to support them on their journey, right? It's not just about finding them, but it's also making sure that um, that they can grow successfully. Right. So our pitch is a lot about that, um, the, the value add that we bring in addition to just investment. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense with the successful companies. What's sort of the return on your investment in that particular company that you calculate with? Is it like a 20, a 50, a 100 X that you that you calculate with there? So we have in our model, there's there's different outcomes, right? And the, the best outcome is a 50x, which is conservative, right? If you think that we're investing very early stage, let's say we invest at the 5 million valuation, then uh, then it doesn't need to be even a unicorn to get to 50x. Yeah, it depends. It depends very much um, 
you know, how much you get diluted, how much money they're raising. So it's, it's, it's not a super simple math, but uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty convinced on early. And, and, and I mean that honestly, that some of our companies are, are going to be either acquired successfully and, and hopefully some even are bold enough to just take it all the way and, 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 and IPO. Yeah. But what I like with you is you, you basically, you have proven that assumption with your investor club, right? You had one successful exit that basically sort of returned the whole fund to a certain degree. So it, it, it did, did have, but the fund was very small at the time, but yes. Of course, but still, you know, you, you had in small, you proved your assumption because at the same time, you know, the, the 3x return of a fund that you mentioned as a benchmark, that sounds, you know, ambitious, but actually not that many VC funds actually achieve that after 10 years, for example. So it sounds simple and easy to grasp, but it's really, really hard and difficult to deliver that performance. And I think your, your track record helps you to build some sort of trust with the potential investors. Hey, at least in small, we have already proven that we can do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we had the, this, uh, and it was a Swiss startup that uh, um, some of you might know as well, uh, called Vey, an ETH spinoff. Um, and they were very lucky, right? They, there was a, a computer vision tool measuring motion in front of a camera. So in, when you're exercising in front of a camera or also for rehabilitation like physiotherapy, gives you direct feedback, tracks your posture, counts your repetitions. And during the pandemic, uh, I mean, they skyrocketed, right? Because, and especially here in the US, like already then 70, 80% of their customers were US customers. Uh, all our gyms here were closed. The healthcare system completely turned into remote. Um, so it made a lot of sense. Yeah. So they, after one and a half years, they had their first acquisition offer and, uh, we luckily we have someone in the team, Doug, who already had quite a few exits. One, one to Apple, also with the Swiss company FaceShift. That's now Face ID, and it was great to have him on the team for this, right? Because we were like, wait, 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 you never take the first offer, right? Uh, so let's uh, let's see how much we can negotiate. Let's see who else is interested. If you really want to sell the company, and we were actively able to four x the 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 sales price. Uh, and it was also not the original offer. I was, we brought in additional bidders. There were, in the end, there were four, four, four companies interested in buying, right? And that's kind of, then, then it becomes interesting. And for us, it was a 7.5x on this investment, which was great in a small portfolio of 10, five companies, you know? Talking about um, beating the yeah. odds, right? Yeah. But then, then yeah, we will we will see in the future, right? Uh, now, now it's still early, right? After three years of investing, you kind of start seeing who is progressing good and who is getting into the next round. But so many things uh, will still happen, right? We have to we have to assume an average of seven to eight years uh, until an exit. One and a half years is 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 very is very fast. <laughs> it's very of course, yeah. you take it when opportunity knocks. Yeah, the door. no, 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 no. It was it. It made sense all for everyone involved. Yeah, um, yeah, and I don't know. There's one statistic that um, that is in my deck also. Uh, that is actually it's quite interesting, and a lot of not a lot of people know that when you look at the data, emerging funds actually perform better. Smaller funds, emerging funds, than the bigger, more established funds in general, um, because 
several reasons. One is it's easier to, to return a smaller fund, right? Uh, just the way the math works, right? If you have a billion dollar fund, you need really, really successful companies to return 3 billion, right? So with a $20 million fund, it's a little bit easier on that end. Um, and the other is, I think the teams are way more dedicated, way more specialized, working hard, right? You don't have a big machine where people, where you're almost like corporate. And you need to be really good and specialized, right? Otherwise you can nor raise the money, nor find the right startups, nor you really need to add value. So you even survive or you even make a mark, let's say. <laughs> Definitely. And now going through that fundraising process yourself, what is more difficult than you thought before you actually started with the fundraising? Um, yeah, it's it's definitely difficult for us to get these more uh, institutional investors, these more like financial investors, I would say, who are not um, investing their private money. Uh, that's definitely a challenge for any emerging fund. And but it's a challenge you 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 have to be up for and. Uh, it, it might just take the time that they want to see you again and they want to see your progress and uh, they, they might invest in fund two or they might invest in fund three uh, or they might invest in the third close. Who knows, right? So, so you just have to like keep those relationships up and going, but it's definitely with private investors, also smaller family offices where, where you talk to the people who invest their own money, the, the process is much faster and I think much more emotional and personal, right? For somebody who is managing somebody else's money, there is a different lens, there is a different due diligence, uh, and of course, um, a risk assessment also, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And what is your timeline? When do you actually want to close the fund? So we're, we're now halfway, uh, so a bit above 8 million, yeah. So not quite halfway, I was have to say, half, oh, it's close to half. Yeah, and the conversations keep going. So that was for the first close. And um, now we're planning already the second close uh, early next year. Um, so we have these conversations now. And then we have a two-year fundraising time in our kind of LP agreement. So we can do another close in 24 or even two if needed. Um, yeah, and that's... Okay, it's um, similar to, I guess, the startups. <laughs> we were just talking talk, talking about, like, yeah, splitting it up in rounds. Um, yeah, so we're, we're definitely optimistic that uh, we're going to make it happen. It's the challenge is really how much time that goes into it. Yeah. Also, how the markets will develop and everything. It can be sort of a break in the process or an acceleration, depending how things turn out there, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and then I'm talking to a lot of VC colleagues now who who take a break, right? Who didn't, who stopped raising and say, hey, we're trying again in 24. Uh, we decided to 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 continue and, and many others as well. So, um, and I think like to what we said earlier, right? Now is really the time to invest uh, for us as well as for our LPs. So I think the people we're attracting now are actually really good people to have on board. So... I think so too. Absolutely. Now let's bring the attention back to the startups. Um, 
what advice would you give to startups looking to succeed in the current fundraising environment? We heard it's challenging. It's, you know, less funds that get committed or smaller rounds. Considering these unique challenges, what would you recommend them today to survive and to eventually get the funds that they need? I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to make a kind of a general statement, but it depends on, on, on where they're at. But I think a lot of investors, because they're a little bit more careful right now or a little bit more nervous, I think really talking about clearly what is already validated, what is the traction, what is already proven, what is the market opportunity. So really have that very, very clear um, to make sure that they get um, – that they feel a little bit more comfort, <laughs> right? I think it's a bit less um, the time where you can just come with a great idea and here's money, right? Like you need to actually show proof, proof that uh, your idea is working and you have actual interest. So that's one thing. The other thing is, um, yeah, don't give up, right? Stay, stay optimistic. It is an uphill battle for everyone, even for the good ones, right? Um, so uh, don't lose faith uh, or lose, you know, the motivation, because I think that's also something that you feel, <laughs> right? When there's some desperation coming into the mix, that's never good, um, right? Then it's going to get even harder. And then, yeah, don't be... Don't be too proud to say, oh, we're doing a smaller round or, or, hey, we're doing an internal round with the current investors because we need to reach this and this milestone before going back out again in this environment. So uh, also talk to your current investors who are hopefully supportive about uh, what might be the best strategy. So, yeah, I think we'll get through this and that we're seeing some signs that it's picking back up. So I think we're, yeah. Hopefully. There's light. There's hope at the There's end of light. the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now, you know, probably startups, but maybe also even people who want to invest, uh, maybe even professional investors listening to this, who would like to get involved with Dart Labs? Um, how should they reach out to you? Either as a startup looking for funds or a potential investor interested in becoming part of your upcoming fund. How do they best get in touch with you? Yeah, so so we're very easy to find. So there is uh, our website is dartlabs.io. Uh, for startups, there is we try to make the process very clear. There's uh, explanations what how we're investing, how much. There is even an application form with four or five questions, really simple, where they can upload our deck. Um, they can do that. They can also reach out to one of us directly, Ariana, Walcott, Sophie. We're uh, either on LinkedIn or uh, our email addresses are Sophie at Dart Labs, Ariana at Dart Labs. Uh, very easy. Um, and same for investors. Uh, yes, we're, we're actively fundraising now, so people can reach out directly to me, Sophie at Dart Labs IO, or uh, or to Ariana. We even, I think, have a have a. A, a general uh, email address on the website, but yeah, uh, there's only one investor that came through the general email address so far. It's usually it's usually through 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 somebody who knows somebody. Yeah, but I think it honestly, I think it was after one of your podcasts. Um, so we definitely we definitely um, got a lot of startup inquiries after, especially the fundraising class we did together. That definitely had we definitely saw a clear impact. And I had a couple of uh, interested investors reaching out as well, which was really really cool to see. 
Yeah. So That's thank amazing you for to that. hear that there's a yeah, positive yeah. Swiss Spinner impact. <laughs> I, absolutely. A hundred percent. I signed that. <laughs> That's uh, keeping our motivation high. Another thing that's motivating us is to finish a conversation with some rapid fire questions. I always love these because it gives you a short sort of behind the scenes look into the guest's personality or background, basically. So let me just start with the first one for you. What do you prefer, being a fundraiser or an investor? Oh my God, an investor. <laughs> no, because fundraising, fundraising is, is sales. Um, we talked about that and, uh, I, I do learn something while I'm pitching to investors. It's a lot of psychology and things, but I, I definitely learn more, uh, from our founders and starting to get a grasp on their technology and then their journey. So to me, yeah, investing, sorry, it wasn't a fire answer. Sorry. No, okay, okay. <laughs> Are you more of an early bird or a night owl? And so that's also not an easy question. Naturally, I would be the night owl, but unfortunately, life choices brought me to California and I talked to a lot of Swiss people starting at 6, 7, 8 a.m. against my nature. But yes, <laughs> it also the, the works. The alternative would be an extreme night owl and you catch up with the oh, morning in Switzerland, right? <laughs> and then I go to bed after. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe a model to, to A-B test in the future. <laughs> Yeah. If you had to choose for an investment, AI or blockchain? AI. Clear choice. In, in the current market environment, I would, I'm not surprised. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I love what the blockchain can provide, but for us, um, looking at health and also climate, I think there is a lot, 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 lots of AI applications, especially in health, uh, that are very, very interesting. So yeah, AI. Absolutely. Beer or wine? Wine. I, I don't like beer. <laughs> and the last one for you, you know, you probably get that asked all the time, but I want to see if something changed. Switzerland or the United States? Both. Both. Like, I don't want to make a decision. I think my, uh, my, my life goal would be to actually have two homes. I think you're, you're sort of close to get there, you know? Well, well, yeah, I, I don't have an, uh, like an actual home home in Switzerland anymore. I stay either with family or friends. Uh, so eventually for, you know, have my own place again eventually. So we'll see. We'll see. But currently it's, uh, it's definitely two thirds, three quarters US and, and uh, the rest Switzerland. Yeah. But I do like uh, there's so many pros and cons, I think, in both places and both cultures that I... I wouldn't want to miss one or the other. That's fair. Sophie, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's always a pleasure and lots of fun with you. And all the best with the fundraising. And I'm sure we're going to have a few more episodes coming up with you in the near future. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sylvain, for all the great work you guys do and your whole team. I've been always really impressed by Swisspreneur's quality content, the people you bring together. Yeah. Really good for Switzerland. We need it. Thank you. We, we really love what we do. That helps a lot. Thank you for that. Yes, it does. Yeah. Bye. Bye, Silva. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. 
This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.